Today's episode, we ask people what baffles them about bagpipes, and we get started answering their questions. So uh, let's see here. So on my Facebook wall this morning, I asked people uh, to write in and tell me things that uh, baffle them about bagpipe stuff. And so what we're going to do at this point is read through some of those comments. And I'm going to do, um, you know, I'm going to give you as much possible feedback as I can there on today's stuff. So uh, with that saying, let's get going here. So things that baffle us about Bagpipes, and I'm going to go in uh, chronological order so the people that responded first uh, can get the best response. At least I think I have. All right, so um, we're going to start with John, who said steady blowing is the biggest thing that baffles him when it comes to playing the bagpipes. And this is a very, very common thing. And what I would say to that is just like any other skill, like to use the really tired example of learning to ride a bike. All right. The only thing that's going to help, that's really going to teach us to learn how to ride a bike at the end of the day is to get out there and do it and to learn that skill. And we're going to crash and burn for the few, first few times. And then eventually, just like it happens when we ride a bike or when we do anything else or when babies learn how to walk, for example, is that eventually it's going to click and you're going to start to get the hang of it. All right. And then once you start to get the hang of it, you'll be able to further refine it, refine a little bit more, refine it a little bit more. Just keep in mind that, you know, it's going to take more and more experience. So the number of hours that you spend working on your steady blowing is going to correlate to how soon you're going to get that. Okay, and then the other thing is, keep in mind that when you learn how to ride a bike, okay, there's these things called training wheels. And we use them to help us get the basic idea of it down. Uh, before we graduate to full steady blowing on our own. And basically what training wheels allow us to do on a bike is they allow us to get all the motions like the the pedaling and the general ideal idea of balance and the general idea of riding a bike. So um, are is there anything we can use from a bagpiping perspective um, that could give us the equivalent of training wheels? And the answer is absolutely you can. And um, this isn't a sales pitch. We actually really don't mark up this product much at all. We have what we call the Dojo Stealth Tube Manometer. That's M-A-N-A-M-E-T-E-R, uh, which you could find on our website, uh, which is a great tool for um, showing you visually the steadiness of your blowing. And what that device does for John, who was asking the question, is it's actually a, a tube that's hooked up to your drone, and there's water in the tube, and the water will fluctuate up and down depending on how steadily you're blowing. And that is an amazing tool for showing us visually of the steadiness of our blowing to give us hints as to where we need to improve, so on and so forth. So, John, I hope that uh, gives you some good clues in regards to that extremely uh, baffling element of bagpiping. I think that other people are also talking about steady blowing as we go through this today. So, um, you know, we might get the opportunity to talk about that a little bit more. Feel free, anybody who's out there on Facebook today, feel free to chat in. Let me know if you have any questions as I'm going to go. But we have quite a bit of stuff to cover here today, so we're going to keep going with the next topic. So, Daniel says, 
I'm having two major problems, all right? Problem number one is recognizing notes. Sometimes I forget finger placement if I am going from E to F, for example, and also grace notes going from bottom hand to upper hand, okay? I can go all the way without grace notes, but with them I am stumped on the upper hand going up. Okay, so basically Daniel's a beginner just getting going on the practice channel, and this is a very common problem for beginners, which is, um, there's a lot of stuff going on, especially when we add grace notes into the mix. Okay, now, the number one thing that I can say to you about this is you really have to know how the tune goes if you want to have success uh, playing bagpipes. Okay, so, um, you know, and I think there was another person that was in here asking on the Facebook wall as well, just, you know, I have trouble just sort of knowing what it's supposed to sound like, how I'm going back and forth from different notes and so on. So the first thing is you have to know how the tune goes. That's the most important thing. So you have to know the basic melody. You have to know basically how the rhythm is going and so on and so forth. And then from there, the objective is to take what we want it to sound like and get it to come out on the practice chanter in this case, because we're not on the pipes yet. Uh, but that's the number one thing, that's the bottom line of everything we're gonna do as bagpipers, is to get what's in our mind to come out on the practice chanter. Now, if you don't know what you're trying to play, if you don't know how it goes, and if you don't have that melody in your head, that should be the first and foremost objective of yours, is to figure out how it goes. So when it comes to basic tunes, <clears throat> You want to find recordings of them, or you want to listen to it many, many times until you just have it in your head. This is one of the reasons that our dojo tutor starts with basic kid songs when we do the tutor. We do as many silly kid songs as we can, uh, partially because a lot of kids learn from our tutor, but the main reason is that these are melodies that everybody sort of already knows, and so we know what we want it to sound like getting started. One of the problems when we play the scale and when we play different exercises is we don't always have a good idea of how it goes. So that's where having personal teacher to give you some feedback, having that CD that comes along with a lot of the tutors now, or we have video that goes along with ours, whatever it is, that's the number one thing is you want to know how it goes. Now, when it comes to the technique of playing um, grace notes to and from the high hand, okay, that's just a lot of practice and you also have to have you know, a good understanding of exactly how grace notes work. There's two different ways to talk about grace notes when it comes to piping. Um, the common way is to think about, you know, sequentially what's happening with the fingers. Okay, so for example, if we have, uh, if we're playing low A and we want to play a G grace note to E, okay, uh, the first way that it's sometimes taught is that from A to E, we will lift the G grace note finger, well, sorry, we would lift the G grace note finger and the E finger at the same time, and then just drop the G grace note finger. And uh, a lot of times that's how that's taught. I don't prefer that method because it gets really confusing really fast. And Daniel, I have a feeling that's what you might be dealing with a little bit in your question. The way I prefer to teach it, which is also the way that I play it, is that grace notes are a layer that happens on top of melody notes, okay? This is just one man's opinion. I know that others will, you know, have their own method of teaching, but rather than the weird, difficult, 
sequences of notes that you need to think of when you play grace notes. I prefer to think of a G grace note as just a quick flick of the G finger here, okay? And then, uh, and that happens simultaneously to a note change. So if we go, if we're going from A to E like this, okay, the exact moment that we go to E, we also flick this finger. Okay, and we do, you know, we can do any and all grace notes that way. And for me, that helps me think about it. Okay, Daniel's second thing, maybe I should have limited it to one, is that he's talking about breathing and squeezing. And we already talked a little bit about that when it comes to the manometer. So I highly recommend the first thing that you do is that you um, get a water manometer. And then you can look at some of our materials that we have online about exactly how you would use the manometer for improvement. Okay, next question. <clears throat> Kent says, I can't understand why my current read is not getting easier as I break it in. We actually have two opposing questions in this regard today. So I can't understand why my current read is not getting easier as I break it in. It sounds good, but is still going hard after about 20 hours of total playing time. I've taken some wood off, but I'm afraid to shave much more. So my uh, response to this is going to be, um, you're, in the, you're in the life time, you know, you're in that point of the life of the read where it's perfectly okay to take some wood off. Um, you know, it's either that or you need to trade with somebody who wants a harder read. Because after 20 hours of total playing time, that read is pretty much as broken in as it's going to be. Okay. Usually the 10 hour uh, area is sort of what I would say um, you should expect a read to be pretty much broken in by then. So if you're at the 20 hour mark, you need to go ahead and shave, uh, take more wood off that reed if you really need it to be easier. The best case scenario, uh, well, is either to shave that down and see how it goes or to select a different reed that's not quite as difficult to play. Okay, so that is the bottom line there uh, when it comes to reeds that are just too hard. Is once we reach that point, you can expect them to be broken in and then you need to go about, um, you know, doing manipulations. The one thing I would say is, just remember, any wood that you take off the reed, you can't put back on. But Kent, I would not expect it to get much easier from there. Okay, Patricia is next. Tuning my bass drone always baffles me. All right, um, tuning the bass drone is a very difficult thing to do. Um, there are a couple of different things you can think about when it comes to tuning the bass drone. The first thing is, um, you know, always tune the bass drone to just one tenor drone. So make sure both tenor drones are not going when you tune the bass. You could either use a cork or just tap off that middle drone and at the very least start with that. The next thing I would do to practice is to cork off the chanter stock. Okay, uh, to cork off the chanter stock and then uh, just practice tuning the tenor drone to the bass drone. The next thing that I would mention is that remember the bass sounds an octave lower than the tenor. So things aren't going to be perfectly lined up. However, the harmonics will line up to a certain degree. So what you want to do is you want to really listen to the sound, take your time with it, make sure that you're blowing steadily, and just experiment back and forth. Okay, And remember, it's not about whether or not the drone is in tune or out of tune. Okay, I will always say that it's impossible to perfectly tune anything especially with the bagpipes. So the question is always, um, 
you know, I move in one direction and then the question I ask myself is, is that better or worse than it was before? If it was better, I keep going. If it was worse, I go back the other way. And just like you would tune a radio, you practice tuning the bass. So one of the big things that will help you is to change your objective from trying to get your bass drone in tune to just experimenting to see how good you can get it, right? There's a big difference there, okay? So there is no right answer. There's just how close you can get it. All right, next question, Jonathan. Knowing when a drone is letting too much air through, okay, and it says, so with the disclaimer here that everything is well-maintained, the joints are airtight, so on and so forth. So my answer to this question is, the drone should eventually shut off when you blow too hard on the chanter reed. If the drone does not shut off, that means it's taking too much air. So if the drone shuts off prematurely when we don't want it to, that's obviously bad. However, if we have our chanter and we overblow on it to an unrealistic degree, we should expect the drone reeds to shut off. And that means the drone is taking enough air. So that's an excellent question. Let me take a 10 second timeout. I've got to take the sweatshirt off because I'm starting to sweat and that's got to look kind of gross. All right, so um, <clears throat> really good question there, Jonathan. Hopefully, does that help you, I hope? And uh, if not, feel free to ask a follow-up. Thanks for commenting in there. Next question on the Facebook wall. The relationship between chanter reads and moisture is one that I'm still struggling to understand. Do reeds require more moisture in cold climates or should they be kept drier? Too much moisture also seems to be a problem sometimes in warm weather when the outdoor humidity is very high. Is there a rule of thumb to get this right, or is it just a matter of the quality of the reed itself? Um, here in the States, we import many inferior reeds from the great reed makers. Okay, Victor, well, if you order reeds from us, that won't be the case. Um, and there are a lot of solid retailers that will definitely make sure you get connected with the right reeds. Um, so, you know, consider using a retailer uh, in that respect, right? Because we can help you get the right reads and make sure that they're uh, sorted through properly before you get them. But, okay, relationship to chan reads and moisture. So, um, this is sort of a an interesting topic and people, the, the world's general opinion of reads has changed quite a bit over time. Uh, so, there was a period of time in the mid-90s through like, you know, even just recent years where dryness was the number one objective. Let's keep everything dry. Let's keep everything dry. But the bottom line is moisture is actually good for a chanter reed in moderation. So as long as the chanter reed is not super saturated, moisture is good. It allows the reed to vibrate more uh, freely. Okay. Uh, allows them to vibrate more freely, that gives us more harmonics, and that gives the reed just an overall richer sound. So we actually want a small degree of moisture in the chanter reed. So some of your questions here, like do reeds require more moisture in cold climates? The answer is they don't require more or less. There's still that nice moderate amount of moisture that we want. The problem in cold climates tends to be that the colder the air, the more condensation we get inside the bagpipe, and then that, that can lead to oversaturation and moisture problems. Okay, now meanwhile, in hot weather where the humidity is very high, this is actually the ideal environment for a chanter, in my opinion, because 
That humid air keeps the chanterine at a nice, stable, moist level, but the warmth of the air prohibits any condensation from happening inside the bag. So you can actually get some ultimate stability and richness in warm, humid cli uh, climates. So that's actually good for the reed. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> and then obviously, okay, your final question there, does it have to do with the quality of the reed itself? It definitely does. You know, bad reeds are going to sound bad whether they're dry or slightly uh, damp, okay?